A global study has found strong evidence that a new form of coronavirus has spread from Europe to the U.S. This is a new mutation, and it makes the virus more likely to infect people. But it doesn't seem to make them any sicker than earlier variations of the virus. How often do viruses, like coronavirus especially, because there are several different types of coronavirus, mutate? Mutation is actually something that's quite common in viruses. It happens at different rates, but it happens to every single one. The coronavirus is what we call an RNA virus, and these viruses tend to have a bit more of a higher mutation rate than, say, a DNA virus such as hepatitis B. So, you know, when we see these uh, mutations, they happen all the time, but I know that a lot of us have this kind of like X-Men type of uh, mutation picture in our head of somebody turning into like a radioactive monster. But in reality, we see these things all the time, and this mutation that we see with this new G variant was actually something that was uh, uh, there several months ago in the in the outbreak and does not necessarily mean that this is this virus is any worse. It's just an observation that was seen and we need more data to prove that it's actually something that's clinically relevant. Okay, so this this could actually be some good news because although this mutation is showing that the disease is more contagious, and I know that sounds like bad news, it seems to have decreased the severity of the disease. Less people are are, uh, you know, experiencing severe uh, ramifications of COVID-19. Yeah, that, that's what uh, it looks like. But we have to also remember that a lot of this, what we were seeing was more observational data. They were looking at different patients uh, that were seen at a certain time in Europe. I think it was actually as early as March. They were looking at the people that were having um, COVID-19. And also they did a little bit of study in, uh, in a lab situation, what we call in vitro. We don't actually have good data uh, in the real world to see that, look, this is something that is interesting uh, in these experimental settings, but does it actually mean anything? And that's going to be something that requires a lot more, uh, you know, uh, real-life data. So this is an interesting thing. It's something to look at, but does not necessarily mean that this, this virus is any uh, massively different than what we've uh, known from the beginning. Okay, so, you know, one of the things I was thinking is, whoa, if we're mutating here and people, doctors have been working on hundreds, literally hundreds of different uh, vaccines during, you know, the time where coronavirus became a, pan- became a pandemic to now, could this be problematic when it comes to getting a workable vaccine in record time? It, it, it could be, uh, but interesting thing, when you look at the protein in this situation that has been thought to be changing, uh, it's not something that changes that much that it's going to, to affect the vaccine. At least that's what it looks like right now. And, you know, thankfully that the hundreds of vaccines that are being developed right now, they're of different targets on the actual virus. So that, that also uh, means that uh, it's much less likely that there's going to be such a big mutation that, um, you know, the virus, the vaccine won't work. Another thing to remember is that most mutations, the vast majority of mutations that uh, that happen in a virus or any other um, uh, cell for that matter, is that it makes either a minor or an ineffectual change that doesn't do anything. So these things are happening all the time. And these big mutations that make a huge difference in the characteristics of a virus are very rare. Suman, I want to talk about something that's making some headlines today after um, it appeared in the New York Times yesterday. The World Health Organization, you know, has long held that the coronavirus is spreading primarily by large respiratory droplets that, you know, once someone coughs them out or sneezes them out, they fall quickly to the floor. Now, according to the New York Times over the weekend, hundreds of scientists have written an open letter to the World Health Organization. They say there's evidence that the novel coronavirus Um, actually those smaller particles, those aerosols could infect people and they were calling on the World Health Organization to revise its recommendations. This could be problematic when you're talking about areas of poor ventilation 
and um, and those will have uh, significant contaminations in them. So uh, ventilation systems will have to be reworked if this is the case in nursing homes. That's problematic. Um, how critical is it we keep an open mind about the coronavirus? Because, I mean, it's frustrating because it seems like it's so completely confusing to the average person. I think then we uh, get tired. Actually, it's confusing to sometimes even the uh, average infectious disease doctor. You know, I- I'm looking at this, and this has been a debate that has kind of been raging on since the beginning, but one that we actually have fairly good data. When you look at the um, the spectrum, say, droplet versus airborne, it's not this kind of either-or thing. There is a little bit of a spectrum, but when you look at the vast amount of data that has been slowly accumulating over the past several weeks to months, we see that the major transmission is occurring when you have somebody which is in relatively close contact in an enclosed space for a prolonged period of time. It's not like a situation, we haven't seen any good evidence where, for example, with measles, I can be in a room with measles and then like a couple of hours later, somebody walks in and they can get the measles. That's how infectious it is. It certainly is not like that. And, you know, whereas there might be some situations, for example, uh, if I'm singing in in a karaoke bar, for sure, somebody more than two meters away could potentially get infected. But that's a very, very, you know, um, specific situation. And it's not like it's somebody who's standing, you know, uh, across a football field. So I think that would be disingenuous for them to say that. This said, it doesn't change what we do. Physical distancing is still important. We have to look at the higher risk situations such as, you know, choirs, karaoke bars, uh, bars in general, where people are packed together. Those are the main principles we need to look at. Right. But if it does hang around, if it, if aerosols actually in closed spaces hang around a lot longer than we thought they did, it really highlights the need to wear masks and to maintain social distancing and, you know, and try and limit the amount of people that you interact with. That's right. And, and, and that's what we are seeing already. When you look at uh, if this thing was truly airborne, the the uh characteristic of the outbreak would be much worse. You see many more infections, many more people getting infected. And you actually see, when you look at these clusters that we have, you can see that you have to, in a way, work to get the infection. You have to be there for a prolonged period of time. And if it were truly airborne, like these scientists are saying, it would have been a much higher, a much higher infectious rate, which we just aren't seeing. Okay. Um, this is good news to GTA hospitals. Uh, over the weekend said that they do not have any uh, COVID patients in their ICU. Friday, uh, we heard from the Humber River Hospital and uh, York General this weekend as well. So this is really hopeful. Uh, We're trending in the right direction. I mean, as a medical professional with your peers that are, you know, putting their lives in danger on a daily basis, this is great news. But there was just alarming, alarming video that was actually, this strangely enough, um, recorded by the person themselves in uh, going to St. Joe's Hospital over the weekend. They didn't want to wear a mask. Apparently, they were going in for uh, attention to a broken finger. Let's have a listen to the audio. Dave, have you got that audio? Oh, sorry. Say that again, please. In the hospital. Why am I not allowed to video? I'm not allowed to video, but you're making me wear a mask. If, otherwise, you're, you're going to deny me service if I don't wear a mask. I'm at St. Joseph's Hospital. They're telling me that if I don't wear a mask, they're not going to uh, assist me. They want me to leave. Whose policy is that? Ministry of Health policy. I'm just going to turn down the... Uh, it's the Ministry of Health policy, uh, Suman, and it is an important one. Can you talk to... I mean, to me, it's just... It's, it's very obvious that this woman is incredibly selfish. 
uh, wanting not to wear a mask when she's going into the hospital. It just how uh, dangerous is it to not follow protocol when you're in a hospital and not wear not wear a mask during this pandemic? Yeah, this is a. I, I saw this video, and you know, I always uh, see these. These clips can sometimes uh, uh, be confusing, and you know, it makes things look like um, different than what you uh, what actually happened in reality. But yeah, this is very strange to me, and I agree that you know, masks are one of the things that, especially in a situation like the hospital, where you potentially have a large number of cases, or at least larger than the community, the mask can be helpful in terms of uh, breaking transmission chains. So, why this uh, woman was um, was you know not wanting to wear a mask is still a mystery to me. And yes, it, it can potentially put other people at risk. And uh, that's why. And the other thing that bothers me is that she's taking a video in a hospital. And, you know, that yeah. could be a huge privacy concern for other people that are in there in the department. It seems like she doesn't have any concern for anyone other than herself, though. I mean, because they're trying to explain these things incredibly uh, patiently uh, and politely to her. And she's just having none of it. Um, I wonder which finger she broke. I think we know which one it could be. I mean, that's just where my mind springs to. Anyhow, Sumon, it's always a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you so much for joining us and shedding some light on, on as much as we can, COVID-19. Absolutely. Great to be here. Take care. Have a great day. That's Suman Chakrabarty from the uh, Trillium Health Network. He's, of course, an infectious disease expert. You've heard him on the show before.